Sports Island is a complete sports podcast covering all major news and topics from across the PGA Tour, NFL, NBA, NHL, MLB, and NCAA. This podcast focuses on sports only, as political, racial, and social issues are not discussed. If you are a sports fan and are looking to stay up to date on all of the major news and topics from across the major sports, then Sports Island is truly your getaway destination. You're listening to the Sports Island Podcast with your host, Rick Mitchell. And now, the Sports Island Podcast. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. This is version 82 of the show, and uh, we it's another good episode for you. Uh, some PGA Tour golf to talk about, uh, of course, Major League Baseball, and uh, certainly plenty of news, again, out of uh, the NBA and uh, college football or college athletics in general with some conference realignments uh, taking place or rumored to be taking place. So a little shorter episode for you this week, of course, uh, the National Hockey League and the NBA are both uh, in their off season officially uh, with the end of both of those seasons over the last couple episodes, so it won't be as lengthy this week, but uh, still certainly enough information to get you caught up on everything. We are going to start off in the PGA Tour. Uh, this past weekend's tournament was the John Deere Classic, and that was at TPC Deer Run, which is in Silvis, Illinois. It was a par 71 distance with 7,289 yards. It was about 400 yards longer than the Travelers Championship the week prior, uh, which is one of the shorter courses. Uh, TPC Deer Run, uh, plenty of birdie opportunities, uh, a lot of risk-reward holes. We saw that. The course itself was in phenomenal shape. Uh, The grounds crew there did a great job. Uh, It was super green, uh, great weather all weekend. Now, in recent years, they had kind of shifted some bunkers around, redesigned them, re-sanded them, and you could see, I mean, the course... Certainly passed the eye test there at TPC Deer Run, so a great job there. Had a really large field for this one. Started out at 156 players, uh, but the field we talked about last week, not great at all. Uh, If you watched it, you saw it. A lot of no-name players uh, on the leaderboard all the weekend. Uh, None of the top-ranked players. I don't think any of the top 20 or maybe even 30-ranked players were out there in the world golf rankings, but... Uh, some notable names that we saw. I mean, Webb Simpson was probably the most recognizable. Uh, Adam Hadwin was out there and a bunch of rookies. Um, you know, Sahith Thigala, he's been coming on strong, certainly in the running for uh, Rookie of the Year on tour. Uh, we had nine former John Deere Classic champions in the field. But again, just um, if you're talking about the aesthetics of the field itself, it certainly wasn't one that made you watch. Uh, I think the ratings... Uh, this past weekend were a little bit more down than they usually are, and that, of course, had a lot to do with the field itself. But um, <clears throat> one of the main things about this tournament is it's two weeks before the Open Championship, uh, which will be at St. Andrews this year. Uh, this was one of the qualifying events for that. So uh, the top three finishers in this tournament that weren't already exempted from the Open Championship got to be uh, got their ticket punched to St. Andrews, all right? Uh, Five of the last 10 winners here at this tournament have been first-time winners on tour. Uh, That was not the case this week. Um, uh, 
you know, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. But surprisingly enough, like I said, the, 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 with the field not having a lot of top players in it, or any top players in it, um, the names were never exciting. Uh, when you turned it on, you were probably like, who the hell is this guy, uh, unless you're an avid golf fan. Uh, but the golf itself, uh, it was still competitive, uh, really good tournament. Um, didn't really come down to the wire uh, as much as you probably would have hoped, um, but it was still a good competitive tournament throughout. Uh, JT Poston was your winner with a score of 21 under par. All right, now he uh, did so in wire-to-wire fashion. He opened with a 9-under round of 62 and never looked back from there. Uh, went 6-under, 65, 4-under, 67, and then 2-under, 69. And he uh, his rounds got progressively worse as the tournament went on. Uh, it was a little windier on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Sunday was certainly the windiest out of the four days, but the weather was perfect. Um, but JT Poston... Uh, he was a wire-to-wire winner, second career victory on tour for J.T. Poston. Uh, so that's why I said that uh, five of the last ten winners here were first-time winners. That is uh, five out of the last 11 since Poston has previously won on tour. But he was only the second player ever in this tournament to win it wire-to-wire. Uh, the only other player to do that was David Frost back in 1992. So uh, Poston played really well, uh, obviously 21 under par. He actually won by three shots. Uh, there was a two-way tie for second at 18 under par, and that was Christian Bezadenhout and Emiliano Grillo, all right? Uh, both of them played uh, really good golf as well. Bezadenhout uh, finished his, his round uh, on Sunday with a 5 under 66, <clears throat> very impressive. Uh, he also had a good Friday round of 6 under 65, uh, which uh, kept him up at the top of the leaderboard. Emiliano Grillo, uh, he... Uh, his best round was Friday as well, six under, pardon me, seven under, 64. Um, had a chance on Sunday. He, he got up to, he was at, in second place for a while, um, but he ended up finishing at, at uh, two under, 69. Kind of ran into some trouble there on 12 and 14, uh, bogeying those holes. But other than that, he had four birdies in that final round, but he played really well. Uh, there was a two-way tie for fourth at 17 under par. Uh, Christopher Goderup, uh, this dude, interesting story about him. This dude wasn't even uh, invited to this tournament, but he basically wrote a letter to the PGA uh, begging to play in this thing and letting him know that he'd make him proud if he got in. So they actually accepted his letter and allowed him to play. And he came out six under 65 four under 67, two under 69, and five under 66 to finish at 17 under. Very, very good uh, weekend for there for Christopher Goderup. Uh, fell just shy of the <clears throat> of the Open Championship, uh, I believe. But uh, Scott Stallings was your other player at tied for fourth at 17 under par. Uh, he really looked like he was, he was actually in the final pair on Sunday after a seven under 64 on Saturday. Uh, so he... Uh, he was looking good there, but he kind of kind of came out flat on Sunday. Uh, he bogeyed uh, two of his first five holes, and you could really tell after Poston birdied his first three holes on Sunday, you could tell that Stallings was going to uh, fall just short. Uh, there were two guys tied at 16 under par, tied for six. That was Callum Tarrin and Denny McCarthy. All right, Callum Tarrin had a really good week. 
He uh, started out 68, back-to-back 65s, and then uh, one under round of 70, all right? So, again, a lot of those guys you probably never heard of, but um, all in all, it was a good competitive tournament, like I said. Um, Three-shot victory for JT Poston. But that brings us to this weekend. We actually have two events on the PGA Tour this weekend. Uh, The first one we're not going to cover. Uh, It is the lesser of the two tournaments. Uh, A lot of no-name players will be playing in the Barbasol Championship, which takes place at the Keene Trace Golf Club in uh, Nicholasville, Kentucky. Uh, That's a par 72 distance, 7,328 yards. And I say that's the lesser of the two. That has a lot of your no-name golfers in it. Uh, I'm not going to spend any time covering that, but that'll be on television if you want to tune into that. But the the tournament that we are going to talk about uh, is the Genesis Scottish Open, okay? And uh, that is played at the Renaissance Club, which is in North Berwick, Scotland. It's a par 70, distance is 7,237 yards. Okay, so this, uh, the Genesis Scottish Open, this tournament this weekend is one week before uh, the Open Championship, which will be the fourth and final major of the year, and that's at St. Andrews the iconic golf course there in Scotland. So these players, a lot of the big-name guys have gone overseas already to uh, get uh, adjusted to the time zone and uh, get a basically a practice tournament in here at the Scottish Open uh, the week before they go over to St. Andrews. Now, the course itself, the Renaissance Club, has, ho- uh, has been the host for the Scottish Open three other times. So this will be the fourth time it's played here. Of course, it's a Lynx-style course. It's located between two other iconic Lynx courses, which would be North Berwick and Muirfield, which is uh, Muirfield's actually on the Open Championship um, rotation. The fairways on this thing, uh, like most Lynx courses, are pretty tight. Uh, we'll see those pot bunkers that we love seeing there at the Open Championship. We'll, we'll get to see some of those this week. Um, now, it, it's a par 70, uh, but the average winning score here, the previous three tournaments, has been 17 under par. All right, so we're definitely going to see some low scores again this week. Now, interestingly enough, uh, as well, all three of the previous versions of the Genesis Scottish Open here at the Renaissance Club have gone into a playoff. So we'll see if that proves to be the case this week. But uh, nonetheless, uh, it's still going to be a good good tournament. The field itself is very strong. Uh, this is, like I said, it's a week before the 150th Open Championship at St. Andrews. So we got a lot of high-level golfers out there. Um, this is actually, this tournament this year is the first year that the Genesis Scottish Open is co-sanctioned with the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour, all right? So there's going to be 75 golfers from the PGA Tour out there and 75 golfers from the DP World Tour. And by field strength, uh, this tournament is set to be one of the strongest non-major uh, tournaments uh, in DP World Tour history. Uh, 10 of the top 13 golfers in the official World Golf rankings are going to be teeing it up out there. Uh, Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, Colin Morikawa, Justin Thomas, Cam Smith, Patrick Cantlay, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Xander Schauffele, Jordan Spieth, Will Zalatoris. All right, all of those guys will be out there. And a um, lot of firepower. Like I said, that's why the Barbasol Championship is not being covered Uh, simply because anybody you care about on the PGA Tour is going to be over at the Genesis Scottish Open. Um, 
This is also the final qualifying event. It's the week before the Open Championship, like I've mentioned. So this is a qualifying event for the Open Championship. The top three finishers not already exempted into the Open Championship will secure the final three spots there at St. Andrews next week. So um, viewing for this thing, obviously they're in Scotland, so they're uh, six hours ahead of us uh, on the time schedule. So check your local... uh, your television schedule there, uh, CBS. I know they're a little early, a few hours earlier uh, on on the weekend coverage. So uh, that's the cool thing about playing golf overseas, watching it. That's one of my favorite parts of the Open Championship, which I'll hit next week. But uh, yeah, this is going to be a great tournament. A uh, lot of firepower, a lot of big names. Uh, Xander Shoffley just won the pro am in Ireland uh, this week, so uh, he's looking like he's going to be uh, a contender for this thing. And, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a good tournament. Like I said, it's, it's going to be hard to watch if you, uh, if you don't wake up early, but, um, I'm certainly going to try and tune into as much of this as possible because it is shaping up to be a fantastic uh, week of golf prior to our fourth major tournament of the year. But we'll move over to major league baseball and do a standings update here in the MLB. Most teams have played about 81 to 83 games, so we are officially uh, at the halfway point of the Major League Baseball season, which is, of course, 162 games. The Major League Baseball All-Star Game is July 19th. We'll talk about the um, vote leaders at each position uh, in the Around the Island segment, so we're quickly approaching the All-Star Game, but uh, nonetheless, the season for Major League Baseball is exactly halfway over as we uh, record this week's version of the standings update. We'll start off in the National League. The NL East is still currently led by the New York Mets, who are 50-31. and Now, they just got Max Scherzer back the other night, and uh, he's been out since May uh, with his injury. Came back, had an absolutely incredible pitching performance. In his first game back, he went six innings, only gave up two hits, struck out 11 batters, right? It was the 107th time in Max Scherzer's career that he has struck out at least 10 batters, which is just just simply preposterous. I mean, it really is. 107 times he struck out at least 10 batters. Now, that's actually only the fifth most all time. Uh, one more puts him tied for fourth most, which uh, you feel like he's certainly going to do at some point this year. But um in those 11 strikeouts the other night in his return, he struck out the entire Cincinnati Reds lineup. All nine uh, starters for the Reds uh, were victim to a Max Scherzer strikeout, and that was the fourth time in Max Scherzer's career that he has struck out an entire lineup. So uh, obviously, dude's multiple Cy Young winner, uh, one of the best pitchers in the game. Uh, Mad Max is definitely back from his injury, and that outing confirmed it. But uh, the Mets, though, uh, I mentioned they're up top. They have a two and a half game lead over the Atlanta Braves, who are forty-eight and thirty-four. Now that two and a half game lead, the Braves have won seven out of their last ten. Uh, that is the smallest lead that the Mets have had in the division since April thirtieth. All right, so it has been uh, over two months since we've seen. Uh, an NL East, NL East lead this small. So Braves are, are coming in hot. Uh, they're, they're playing well uh, right at the midway point, right before the All-Star break. That's, that's all you can ask for as a Braves fan. So uh, Ronald Acuna is completely healthy. He's back. He's looking like the uh, Ronald Acuna of 
uh, the last couple years. Uh, the Philadelphia Phillies are third at 43-38. and 38. Uh, They have seven games back of the Mets. Uh, they still have a little work to do. Um, waiting on Bryce Harper to get healthy. Uh, the Miami Marlins have actually been one of the hottest teams in baseball. They're 39-40. and 40. They're 10 games back of the Mets. They've won six games in a row uh, as it sits right now, seven out of their last 10. Uh, don't think the Marlins are going to be a playoff team, uh, but uh, the way that Sandy um, Alcantara is pitching, or Alcantara, he has just been completely... Uh, incredible. He's might very well be your NL All-Star Game starter uh, with the numbers he's put up. He's pitched three complete games this year. Uh, his ERA is less than two. Uh, the guy's just been completely phenomenal. Big reason why the Marlins are around 500 halfway through the season. The Washington Nationals, they're completely dead last, 29-54. and 54. Um, That's where they've been all year. That is where I would expect them to be the rest of the year. So who knows what's going on there. Over in the National League Central, the Milwaukee Brewers are still up top at 47-36. and 36. Now they've got a three-game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, who are 44-39, and 39, losers of three in a row. I think last week's episode, that division lead was only one game, so Cardinals have fallen back a little bit over the last week. Uh, but Nolan Arenado has not. Uh, he is obviously one of the better third basemen in the entire MLB. He hit for the cycle last weekend, which was the second time in his career he's done that. It was the first cycle for the Cardinals since 2005 when uh, Mark Grudzielonic did it. And then the very next game, the Cardinals came out and they hit in the first inning. They hit back to back to back to back. That's four home runs in a row in the first inning. And it was only the 11th time in Major League Baseball history that a team has hit four consecutive home runs in the same inning. So pretty impressive stuff there for the Cardinals. Uh, but like I said, they've kind of hit a little skid. Uh, they're three games back of the Brewers. The Pittsburgh Pirates are 33-47, and 47, uh, 12 and a half games back of the Brewers. Like I said last week, same as this week, this division is going to come down to either the Brewers or the Cardinals. Uh, and whichever one does not win is very likely going to be uh, one of the wild card teams in the NL this year. I don't think the Pirates are in uh, the conversation for a wild card spot. Neither are the Chicago Cubs at 33 and 48 or the Cincinnati Reds at 28 and 52, who are technically uh, the worst team in the National League. Over in the National League West, the Los Angeles Dodgers. They have uh, opened up a little bit of a, a bigger lead than, than last week. They're 51 and 29. They have a five and a half game lead on the San Diego Padres. Okay, the Padres are 47 and 36. They've only won twice in their last 10 games, so uh, that is the reason for that five and a half game lead uh, for the Dodgers. Padres have fallen back, and so too have the San Francisco Giants. The Giants are third uh, at 40 and 39. They're 10 and a half games back of the Dodgers, uh, full five games back of the Padres. Uh, Giants have also only won twice in their last 10. They have lost six games in a row as it sits right now. So Dodgers, or the uh, Giants rather, are going in the opposite direction. Uh, I, their lineup and their rotation would indicate that they'll probably be in contention for a wild card spot. Um, so too will their, their record at the moment has them in the hunt. Um, we're halfway through, so we'll see how that ends up. But I would certainly expect the Giants to be a factor uh, here in the next few months. 
Uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks are 37 and 44, and the Colorado Rockies are 35 and 46. Shifting over to the American League, the American League East, all right, the New York Yankees. Not much has changed here. Uh, they're 58 and 23. Massive lead in the division. Uh, I, I've mentioned uh, the Yankees hitting, they're pitching, both as reasons as to why they have uh, as good of a record as they do. There are only 11 players in the MLB at this particular moment with 20 or more home runs this season. Three of them are on the New York Yankees, all right? No other team in baseball has more than one player with 20 home runs at this point, but the Yankees have three of them. Of course, that's Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, and Anthony Rizzo, all right? Now, Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, uh, first two that I mentioned, um, since they have been teammates, the Yankees are 25-1 and when both Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton hit a home run in the same game. That has happened nine times so far this year, and the Yankees have won all nine of those games. So uh, that's pretty clear that when both of those guys get the long ball going, uh, the Yankees are going to win the game. But the Yankees have uh, a 13-game lead over the Boston Red Sox, who are 45-36. and Very good record for the Red Sox. That would put them in either first or second in uh, any other division uh, in baseball uh, at the moment, or all but only a couple other divisions right now. But uh, Red Sox have a very good record. They're still 13 games behind the Yankees. It just tells you how uh, insanely outrageous the Yankees have been playing so far this year. Uh, but Red Sox are, are definitely looking like a playoff team. A uh, little movement here in the 3-4 spot in the AL East from last week. Tampa Bay Rays uh, have overtaken the Toronto Blue Jays at the moment. Uh, the Rays are 44 and 37, uh, 14 games back of the Yankees, and the Toronto Blue Jays are 44 and 38, 14 and a half games back of the Yankees. So, uh, Blue Jays are a half game back of the Rays. The Jays, though, the Blue Jays have lost five games in a row as it sits right now. They're looking to get off the Schneid. Um, and we'll get into this in a second, but it's very likely that they're going to have uh, three or four all-star game starters. Uh, the lineup is very potent, maybe one of the best in the American League. Uh, pitching has been a little bit of a hiccup, but uh, the Blue Jays, with their record as well, they would um, they would be uh, a first or second in several other divisions as well. So you know, that just tells you how good the AL East has been. And then the Baltimore Orioles, they are last in the AL East at 38-44. and 44. Uh, they did just complete a three-game sweep of my Texas Rangers. Um, just absolutely horrendous baseball play, being played by the Rangers. The, the Orioles became the first team in Major League Baseball history to allow a game-tying or go-ahead home run in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning of the same game and still win that game. Okay, And they did it in that final game uh, against the Texas Rangers uh, this past Tuesday night. So um, gave up a, a game-tying or, or game uh, go-ahead home run to the Rangers, 7th, 8th, and ninth inning, and then they still won in the 10th inning in extras. So uh, Orioles, you know, their, their record, uh, you know, for being a laughing stock of baseball for the last uh, six, seven, eight years, I mean, they, um, you know, they would be, uh, third in the other two American League divisions. So uh, that's they're not as bad as, as they have been in recent years. 
Over in the American League Central, the Minnesota Twins are up top there at 47 and 37. They've kind of put a little uh, stranglehold there on that division at the moment. They're uh, four and a half games clear of the Cleveland Guardians, who are 40 and 39. Uh, Guardians have lost three in a row. The Chicago White Sox are 38 and 41, uh, six and a half games back. And then the Detroit Tigers are 33 and 47. Uh, they've won three in a row, put up like 11 runs, I think, the other night. Very impressive uh, uh, showing there offensively. Rookie Riley Green, he hit his first career home run on a walk-off home run the other night. So uh, he definitely is living up to the expectation as uh, baseball's number, I think he was the number two prospect entering the season. Uh, he has shown out in his first few weeks in the big leagues. But uh, Miguel Cabrera for the Tigers, he uh, this past week moved up to 25th all-time on the hits list. He passed Craig Biggio, and he's only about 25 hits away from passing Ichiro Suzuki for 24th all-time. So uh, I think he certainly has at least 25 more hits in him this season, So, um, assuming health, of course. So Cabrera is moving up the uh, all-time hits list. Kansas City Royals, they are 29-50. and 50. Uh, they've only won three times in their last 10. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr., he's another rookie phenom, uh, having a terrific rookie season. Um, futures promising there in Kansas City. Uh, MJ Melendez, well, the catcher. They, of course, they had to uh, put Salvador Perez on uh, the injured list. Uh, looks like he's going to be out for the next couple months. So Melendez will be your catcher. He's had a couple of home runs this week. Uh, but, like I said, the future is uh, going to be all right in Kansas City. It's just not right now. And then over in the American League West, all right, the Houston Astros have been the hottest team in baseball over the last uh, week and a half. Uh, they're 53-27. and 27. Uh, They've won eight games in a row, nine of their last ten, all right? Astros are really hot. Uh, in a game against, uh, well, it was this past, I think it was last weekend, they recorded 20 strikeouts in nine innings. In the nine-inning game, they struck out 20 batters, uh, which tied the Major League Baseball record for the most strikeouts in a single game by the same team. Right? We're talking nine innings, not extras, but in a regular game, uh, out of the possible 27 outs, 20 of them were strikeouts. So that is very impressive there by the Astros uh, playing great baseball at the moment. They have a 13-and-a-half game lead on... The Seattle Mariners, who have moved up to second in the American League West at 41 and 42. They've won four in a row, seven out of their last 10. They're looking really good. A big reason for their success is uh, rookie uh, outfield sensation Julio Rodriguez. All right, he was just named AL Rookie of the Month for the month of June. Uh, he also won that award back in May, so he back to back months of AL Rookie of the Month. He had six homers. 15 RBIs and 20 runs scored in the month of June. Big catalyst for that offense. He hits anywhere in their lineup between first and third, usually in the order. They like to mix him up. And he also is uh, near the Major League Baseball lead in stolen bases. I think he's number two in stolen bases with 21 uh, as it sits right now. And he is the fastest player in the modern era to reach 15 home runs and 20 stolen bases, and he did that in his first 81 games. So exactly halfway into the season, you know, quickest player ever to 15 homers and 20 stolen bases. So Julio Rodriguez, big for the uh, Seattle Mariners. Now, I, in preseason episode, right before we got going, uh, I mentioned that I was super high on the Mariners this year. 
they've really kind of been a, a letdown so far, but the way they've played this last week, uh, week and a half, has given me promise that they will be competing. Uh, they're only three and a half games out of a wild card spot as it sits now, so look for the Mariners to continue to play well. Robbie Ray, their all-star pitcher that they signed in free agency this year, coming off his AL Cy Young season last year, he has certainly um, picked it up in his last four or five starts, looking like the guy that they uh, gave $100 million to. So uh, watch out for the Mariners. They are uh, coming in hot. The problem is they're in the same division as uh, the Houston Astros. So um, Mariners looking very solid for a wild card spot at the moment. Uh, my Texas Rangers have fallen to third in the AL West at 37-42. and 42. Uh, They've only won four times in their last ten. Like I said, they just got swept by the Baltimore Orioles, which uh, is just horrid. So um, not great. This is one of those frustrating uh, moments to be a Rangers fan. It's kind of one of those uh, roller coasters, you know, for the Rangers. If you're a Rangers fan, you can definitely relate. Uh, started off the year terrible, played well been all the way up in second place for the last two or three weeks, and then uh, here they are getting swept by the freaking Orioles. Um, fourth place in the AOS, the Los Angeles Angels. They're 37-45, and 45, uh, 17 games back of the Astros. They've only won three times in their last 10, so the struggles continue. It does not look likely that the Angels will be in the playoffs. And then last place in the American League West in all of Major League Baseball is the Oakland A's at 28 and 55. But like I said, we have officially crossed the halfway point of the Major League Baseball season. So um, tune in to the Around the Island segment here shortly, and uh, we'll figure out who uh, the All-Star Game vote leaders will be. But speaking of the aforementioned Around the Island segment, we'll go ahead and jump right into that. If you're unfamiliar with this podcast, the Around the Island segment, is where we do some quick news topics from across all of the various sports. Uh, we do have some free agent stuff to get into, some trades, and um, some very important NCAA news, uh, particularly with this college realignment. But we're going to start off in the National Football League. Um, certainly full-blown, middle of the offseason training camps uh, will get started here in a couple of weeks. So until then, it's been kind of quiet. We did have one trade go down this week. Uh, the Cleveland Browns, they have finally found a home for quarterback Baker Mayfield. Uh, of course, they traded uh, a King's ransom to bring in Deshaun Watson uh, this offseason. So Watson is obviously your starter. Baker Mayfield said he's done with Cleveland. They finally found a trade partner, and that is the Carolina Panthers. All right, so Baker Mayfield has been traded to the Carolina Panthers in exchange for a conditional 2024 fifth-round draft pick. All right, fifth-round pick for a former number one overall pick. Uh, Mayfield has looked really good at times in Cleveland, but he's also looked really pedestrian. And um, things obviously got sour with Cleveland. And uh, the Browns in that deal, they're also going to pay $10.5 million of Mayfield's salary this year. So uh, interestingly enough, that trade between those two teams, the Cleveland Browns traveled to Charlotte, North Carolina, to play the Carolina Panthers in week one uh, this season. So uh, we will get to see Baker Mayfield. Uh, I would assume he would take over starting quarterback duties from Sam Darnold the second he steps in there. Uh, not that he's much of an upgrade, but I certainly think he is an upgrade. Um, but yeah, Mayfield uh, goes to Carolina. 
Uh, now that's a kind of a risky deal. Uh, you know, they only got a fifth round pick. The Browns did, but uh, the Browns, you know, with Deshaun Watson now as as their they're obviously their main starter. He was going to be their starter either way, but Watson has all those uh, civil uh, litigations that he's been going through with those uh, assault cases, and so uh, there's been a rumor that Watson's going to be suspended for a large portion of the season just for the uh, violation of the NFL's personal conduct policy. So we'll have to see on that because if if he is suspended, the Browns, uh, you know, they're going to be rolling with basically a third-string quarterback as their starter, which would uh, derail any chance they have to make the playoffs, especially in that AFC. So uh, keep an eye on that. But uh, Baker Mayfield is now on the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Moving over to the National Hockey League, few pieces of info. Uh, main re- contract re-signing to take place, uh, the Vancouver Canucks and forward Brock Besser. They have agreed to a three-year contract extension with an average annual value of, of $6.65 million. So uh, that uh, is roughly $20 million over three years for Brock Besser. He certainly is an important part of that Vancouver Canucks offense, and uh, he is locked up in Vancouver the defending Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche, they have re-signed veteran forward Andrew Cogliano to a one-year contract. Uh, he came over from the Dallas Stars to play with Colorado this year, won a cup finally, and um, he uh, is staying in Colorado for at least this season. Uh, noteworthy trade to report, the Tampa Bay Lightning, Eastern Conference champions, they have traded defenseman Ryan McDonough to the Nashville Predators in exchange for defenseman Felipe Myers and forward Grant Mismash. And so that's noteworthy. Ryan McDonough has been a very solid defenseman for a very long time. He's 33 years old, still has four years left on his current contract. All right, so Washington or, uh, Tampa is going to uh, ship him off to uh, Nashville, and Nashville um, certainly they're, they're building something good there in Nashville. Uh, Felipe Myers was a good uh, kind of a defense, younger defensive I don't want to call him prospect because he played uh, in the NHL this year, but um, uh, Tampa Bay got a little younger with that trade, uh, got rid of a, an older player with a, a not-so-friendly contract. Uh, but uh, Nashville uh, is is uh, – McDonough is a good defenseman for the way that Nashville plays. I'll just say that. But uh, the only other piece of NHL news, the San Jose Sharks, they have hired their new general manager, and that is Mike Greer, all right? Mike Greer has been named the Sharks' new GM. Uh, he's only 47 years old, kind of a younger general manager, but uh, he did play 14 years in the NHL with four different teams, including the San Jose Sharks. And he spent last season as the hockey operations advisor for the New York Rangers. So very limited front office experience for Mike Greer, but uh, most noteworthy, he is the first uh, – African-American male in NHL history to hold a general manager position. So uh, he's familiar with the Sharks. He did play there for several years. Uh, pretty uh, decent fan favorite there when he was there. So uh, kind of an enforcer type player, but we'll see how he does. Sharks pretty much cleared house. Uh, got a new GM, pretty much fired all their coaches last week. We talked about that. So uh, we'll see what Mike Greer has up his sleeve to rebuild these San Jose Sharks. Over in the NBA, uh, there was a few more uh, high-dollar max contracts handed out this past week. We talked about a whole bunch last week. Uh, things have kind of calmed down with free agency since it uh, just opened up when we did last week's episode. 
This week, the Cleveland Cavaliers, they re-signed Darius Garland to a five-year, $193 million max designated rookie contract extension that could become worth up to uh, $231 million. And uh, the same thing uh, was signed by New Orleans Pelicans forward Zion Williamson. He got the same five-year, $193 million max designated contract that could become worth $231 million. Now, uh, Gar- Darius Garland is, is certainly, um, he's a uh, elite-level point guard in the NBA. Uh, I don't really have any qualms about that. Uh, but Zion Williamson getting that money, the dude has spent more time on the bench or the injured reserve list than he has the floor itself. So uh, dude spent more time in street clothes uh, than he has in uniform. And uh, tremendous talent, uh, certainly now after sitting out a year with an injury, probably a little overweight, not as maybe as as athletic as he was when he came out of Duke a couple years ago, but um, the potential is there. The problem is his health. I mean, the dude weighs 270 pounds, 260 pounds. He can jump out of the damn gym, but uh, the best ability is availability, and he just simply has not been available. So the Pelicans are really putting a ton of money into Zion Williamson when he has not proven anything uh, at this point in his career. So keep an eye on that. I have a feeling that that, that is going to come back and bite the uh, Pelicans in the ass at some point. Um, the defending, uh, or the defending, the current NBA champion, Golden State Warriors, uh, they have been a, uh, mildly active so far in free agency. Uh, they have signed a couple of players to replace some of the ones they've lost. Uh, of course, JaVale McGee, they've lost him. He signed with um, the Mavericks here. Uh, they also lost Juan Toscano-Anderson and uh, Damian Lee. Uh, they have all jetted in free agency, uh, but they did uh, re-sign center Kevon Looney, uh, signed him to a three-year $25.5 million deal, and uh, Dante DiVincenzo, two years, nine point three. So those are both uh, Looney was key to that Warriors championship run this year, and uh, Dante DiVincenzo is a, a good uh, off-the-bench player that can contribute uh, big minutes. Still no news on the Kevin Durant saga. Last week we talked about him requesting a trade from Brooklyn. Uh, I've seen mixed reports. Uh, I think the Phoenix Suns might be the leader in the clubhouse at the moment. But I've also seen reports that say that Brooklyn has not, no interest in trading him. And realistically, if you're Brooklyn, why the hell would you trade him? Uh, you still have Kyrie Irving, right? And why would you not keep those two together? But uh, if he does, if, if Durant doesn't want to be there, then you know therein lies the problem. So your hand might be forced at that point. Um, still a lot of notable high-profile free agents that are unsigned. Uh, James Harden, he's an unrestricted free agent, so he can kind of, of course, we talked last week, he declined his option for this year. He's uh, probably going to stay in Philly, but, um, you know, we'll see on that. Uh, DeAndre Ayton of the Phoenix Suns, he's a restricted free agent, hasn't signed. Miles Bridges of the Charlotte Hornets, he's a restricted free agent. He was set to get a hefty qualifying offer, but then he decided to go and get arrested for domestic violence this past week, so uh, the Hornets have revoked that qualifying offer. Um, 
certainly uh, not the brightest of decisions there for Miles Bridges. Colin Sexton of the Cleveland Cavaliers, restricted free agent. He's still available. Uh, Montrez Harrell, uh, still an unrestricted free agent. Um, you know, so there's some bigger names still out there. Uh, Carmelo Anthony, uh, you know, he's up there in age, but he's he was a good role player for the Lakers this past year. So a lot of a lot of decent talent still out there uh, in free agency, but uh, the amount of money that's been handed out uh, in the NBA this offseason is just strictly asinine. Um, but we'll uh, we'll just keep you updated on the, the more higher-profile free agent signings as we move along through the offseason. Moving over to Major League Baseball. All right, I mentioned the All-Star game that is quickly approaching on July 19th, so we will have uh, for sure one more episode before that All-Star break. Uh, but the All-Star game is July 19th. It's at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. And the way that the MLB has done their all-star voting process, they basically had uh, two rounds. After the first round, they cut it down to the top two vote-getters at each infield position and the top five vote-getters in the outfield position. All right, so that they are the ones that make round two. And after round two, uh, so basically if you go on to MajorLeagueBaseball.com now at this particular moment, you can only vote for... Uh, the top two players at each position or top five outfielders, all right? Of course, pitchers are selected uh, by the managers. Um, so, But position players uh, at this point, they have narrowed it down to the top two vote-getters after round one. Uh, and the American League will start off uh, We'll start off with the first base position. In the American League, uh, the top two vote-getters at first base are Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the Toronto Blue Jays and Ty France of the Seattle Mariners. Now, Ty France... Uh, is I believe he's still on the IR at the moment, but he's had an incredible year. He's hitting 316, uh, 10 homers, 45 ribbies. Uh, certainly deserving. I mean, so too is Vladimir Guerrero. I would expect Guerrero to win that. Over on the National League side, your first base candidates are Pete Alonzo of the New York Mets. 22 home runs, 69 RBIs. Dude's just been uh, picking up where he left off, winning home run derbies left and right. And then St. Louis Cardinals first baseman Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, he's hitting 340 with 19 homers, 65 RBIs. Uh, certainly both of those guys are deserving. Now, all of the guys on this list will probably make the All-Star Game team. Uh, this is just simply for who's going to start the All-Star Game. I guess I should have clarified that. At second base, American League, uh, Houston Astros' Jose Altuve and Toronto Blue Jays' Santiago Espinal. All right, um, Altuve obviously is the name you recognize. Over on the National League side, it's Atlanta Braves, Ozzie Albies, and Miami Marlins, Jazz Chisholm Jr. All right, both of those would be solid options at second base. Third base on the American League side, this is a heavyweight battle between Rafael Devers, the Boston Red Sox, and Jose Ramirez of the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, better baseball player is Jose Ramirez. Better numbers this year. Uh, well, I guess that's up for debate. Devers has a higher average and more home runs, uh, but Jose Ramirez has uh, almost 20 more RBIs. And on the National League side for third base, uh, two studs, St. Louis Cardinals, Nolan Arenado, San Diego Padres, Manny Machado. Uh, both certainly very deserving of that starting nod. Shortstops, American League, Toronto Blue Jays, Bo Bichette, 
and uh, Chicago White Sox Tim Anderson. Uh, on the National League side, Los Angeles Dodgers Trey Turner and Atlanta Braves Dansby Swanson. Both of them uh, very deserving of that. Uh, at the catcher position, American League side, Alejandro Kirk of the Toronto Blue Jays. Guys having a breakout year, career year. Uh, and then New York Yankees, Jose Trevino, who got traded there from the Texas Rangers. Let's throw that nugget in there. Uh, over on the National League side for catcher, uh, Chicago Cubs, Wilson Contreras, and Atlanta Braves uh, catcher, Travis Darno. In the outfield, like I said, there's five uh, finalists. All right. Uh, Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees, he's in because he was the top uh, vote-getter uh, on the American League side after round one. So he's locked in to, to start the All-Star game. So Aaron Judge is in. The other two spots in the outfield to start uh, are between Toronto Blue Jays outfielders Lords Guriel Jr. and George Springer, along with uh, uh, New York Yankees outfielder John Carlos Stanton and Los Angeles Angels Mike Trout. On the National League side, uh, the highest vote getter after round one was Ronald Acuna Jr., which... He didn't even start playing until about a month into the season. Uh, but he is locked in. He will be a starter in the All-Star game. And the other two spots are between uh, Los Angeles Dodgers Mookie Betts, uh, Atlanta Braves Adam Duvall, New York Mets Starling Marte, and San Francisco Giants Jock Peterson. Then the designated hitter position. There's only two finalists for this. The American League side, it's Houston Astros' Jordan Alvarez. This guy's just a monster. Signed a $100 million contract. He's hitting 313 with 25 homers, 58 RBIs. He should be a lock for that. But his competition is Shohei Otani of the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, certainly think Otani will be there either as a pitcher or a DH either way. But Otani's kind of had to not had quite the encore that he had uh, with his AL MVP season last year. Over on the National League side for designated here, it's uh, Atlanta Braves catcher William Contreras, brother of Chicago Cubs catching finalist Wilson Contreras. And then uh, Philadelphia Phillies outfielder Bryce Harper. All right, he's been more of a DH now with his uh, elbow ligament that's torn. He's been strictly relegated to uh, hitting. And then, of course, he fractured his thumb last week, so we'll see... Uh, we'll see how all those go. Good races, you know. I think I mentioned this uh, in the standings update. The Toronto Blue Jays, uh, they could have a possible uh, five, six starters in the All Star game. All right, if if it goes, if it the votes fall like they may, it's looking like they're going to have four for sure. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, Alejandro Kirk, and George Springer. Those are very likely to all start, but they could also have Lords Guriel uh, and Santiago Espinal. So the Blue Jays could very well have six starters out of the nine positions uh, in the field, which is just, that would be incredible. That would have to be a record. I don't know, uh, and if that happens, I'm sure I'll uh, update you on that, but that would most certainly have to be a record uh, for one team to have six starters. Uh, but... Um, for sure, it looks like they're going to have four, which, like I said, their lineup is insane. Uh, they just are a little bit of a skid right now that has them in fourth place in that AL East. But 
I'm looking forward to the All-Star game. It's always fun to see the different uniforms out there, the home run derby, that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll update you with the All-Star game starters probably on next week's episode after uh, they are announced. But we'll move over real quick to um, NCAA, all right, college athletics, more massive conference realignment news. We talked last week about USC and UCLA uh, leaving the Pac-12 to join the Big Ten, and that's expected to happen in 2024. Um, and these mega conferences that are getting built, uh, namely the Big Ten and the SEC. Well, this past week, uh, the Big 12 is now getting into the action. Uh, it's being reported that the Big 12 has been having discussions with Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado about joining the Big 12. And the reports are also indicating that the Big 12 has their eye on Oregon and Washington as well. So six Pac-12 teams that the Big 12 is looking to add. Basically, the best six remaining Big uh, Pac-12 teams. Actually, Stanford is still out there in the Pac-12. Uh, and they've not had any discussions with anybody about joining, uh, to my knowledge. But um, if the Big 12 adds all six of those Pac-12 teams, that would give them an 18-team league, which would be the largest in the FBS uh, temporarily. The SEC is quickly catching up uh, when Texas and Oklahoma will jump over there. And uh, of course, the Big 12, that in, that 18 teams includes the four that we talked about last week, uh, Cincinnati, Central Florida, Houston, and uh, I'm forgetting the other one, but the four teams that uh, are joining the uh, Big 12 once Texas and Oklahoma leave. So uh, this thing, if this happens, uh, it also is reported that there would just might be a merger between the Pac-12 and the Big 12, which at that point, um, I think you have to put that discussion on the table because the Pac-12 would literally be uh, Stanford at that point, sitting there by themselves. Uh, they would have lost eight out of their 12 teams, the Pac-12. So I certainly think at that point you'd have to, you'd have to, put a, a merger conversation uh, on the table between the Pac-12 and the Big 12, which, again, even if the Pac-12 and Big 12 merge, I still don't think it's uh, on the level of the newly designed Big 10 with the addition of USC and UCLA or the newly uh, created SEC with Texas and Oklahoma. I think those uh, those three conferences would just be absolute massive powerhouses uh, that would duke it out every year for uh, the national title in any sport. Uh, I, I mean, Notre Dame, Stanford, Clemson, uh, Florida State, Miami of Florida, um, those universities, North Carolina, uh, Duke, those would be some of your more major universities that would have to uh, find a home. Uh, the ACC would probably crumble at that point as well. And I think if if the Pac-12 and the Big 12 do merge together, I think we do see the ACC teams start to scatter as well. So, uh, but just keep an eye on this. This, you know, this is the way that college athletics is is going, and uh, that's just the way it, it is nowadays. Uh, these mega conferences, um, you're looking at having three or four, uh, you know, major D1 conferences that are you know going to be powerhouses, and it's I mean it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, it'd be more competitive than than what we've seen probably or what we're used to seeing. 
and um, it'll be interesting to see where the free agent universities end up uh, because money talks, and uh, that's how a lot of these schools are are making their way into these mega conferences. But the last piece of news in Around the Island is in the PGA Tour. Uh, the PGA Tour announced this past week that the 2022 World Golf Championships HSBC Champions Tournament uh, which is scheduled for October 27th through 30th in China, is not going to be played as scheduled. And this decision was made in conjunction with the China Golf Association due to the ongoing COVID-related restrictions there in China. So uh, the PGA Tour is pulling that event. And with that cancellation, the uh, Butterfield Bermuda Championship is going to be played as a standalone event that weekend. So all the big-name guys will probably be in Bermuda instead of over in China for that World Golf Championship. Uh, there'll be full FedEx Cup points awarded at the end of the Bermuda Championship, and the, the purse will now be elevated to uh, $6.5 million. So uh, that's, like I said, going to be October 27th through 30th. We're still three months away from that, but... Uh, just wanted to get that news out there for you golf fans since that just broke this week. But uh, that is uh, going to wrap up the 82nd episode of the Sports Island podcast. Uh, a little shorter this week. I would expect the next couple uh, to be the same since uh, the PGA Tour and the Major League Baseball are the only two you know, uh, notable leagues in play at the moment with the NHL and the NBA NFL all in their off season. So um, these next couple episodes probably be a little on the shorter side, at least shorter than what we're used to. But nonetheless, we still have lots of good information to get out to you. And uh, this weekend, looking forward to two different PGA Tour tournaments. Of course, one here in Kentucky stateside and then one over in Scotland where all the big dogs are uh, the week before the Open Championship. So we got some early morning golf, some late night golf or early morning golf, depending on uh, if you stay up really late, you know, one, two in the morning, you can watch golf. Or uh, if you wake up super early at five or six a.m., you can uh, watch some golf as well. They'll be in Scotland. Like I said, I'll definitely try and tune into as much of that as I can. Uh, Major League Baseball uh, course is still going on and plenty of uh, off-season and free agent news in the NBA, uh, NHL, and NFL. So, uh, we'll still have lots to get into on next week's episode, but uh, certainly another uh, good sports weekend on tap for us this week. Thanks for listening to the Sports Island Podcast. Be sure and find it on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. I'm Rick Mitchell, and I'll catch you next time right here on the Sports Island Podcast, which is available everywhere you listen to podcasts.